0: Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Chris. We appreciate you and the worship team leading us in worship this morning. So grateful that you are here for your presence today. Uh, If you're a guest with us, we especially want to thank you for being here with us. We pray that you've been encouraged through our time in worship and that you'll continue to be encouraged as we study God's Word together and as we move into a time around the table together in just a moment. I want to invite you to turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 4, that's where we're going to be in just a moment, Acts chapter 4. Today we are in week 5 of our summer series that we're calling Major Minor, looking at minor characters in the story of Scripture and how those minor characters' stories point to a major God. And uh, we have looked at some people that maybe you have not heard of before uh, up, up to this point. Last week I want to say a special A word of thanks before I start to Stuart McGregor, and I haven't seen Stuart yet this morning, but I want to thank him publicly for uh, filling in for me while I was uh, out of town. I was actually filling in for a preaching friend of mine that that preaches at a church in Temple last week, and I'd asked Stuart several months ago to preach, and if you have missed that sermon, it's on our podcast on the website. I'd encourage you to go and listen to that. It was a great sermon. He did a great job and put a lot of time and effort into preparing for that, and I'm grateful for him. (coughs) reaching that uh, week four of our series, uh, and hope you'll get to hear him at some other points in the, in the future. Um, this morning, we're gonna re- he was in Acts last week, and this morning we're going to return to the book of Acts to another person in the story of God that is uh, pretty f- familiar for many of you maybe who have, you know, studied the Bible before, but um, you may not know much about this person, uh, and we're going to talk some about a character named Barnabas. Barnabas is a person that we typically think of as a sidekick because he's almost always mentioned with somebody else when he's mentioned, particularly mentioned uh, in connection with his associate, Paul. And so this morning, we're going to look at Barnabas's life and ask some questions about his life and the impact of his life, and, and I have been so encouraged each week as I have uh, begun to dug a little deeper into these characters that we're looking at, these people. I, I hesitate to call them characters because they were human beings, real people that we need to remember actually lived on this earth, and their lives made a real impact. And so I have been encouraged uh, by, by looking at each one of those, and particularly Barnabas's life, which we'll talk about some more in just a minute. I want to ask, if you would, just to quickly bow with me. We can pray for God's blessing upon our time in his Word. Father, we thank you this morning that uh, we have an opportunity to gather. I'm grateful for this church and for the spirit at work here among us. I'm grateful for those songs that many of us grew up and have uh, known and loved and been singing for years. Uh, and for that debt for a day just to think about the ways that those songs uh, from various points in our past might encourage us in our faith. God, I pray today that we'll remember as we just sang, that uh, we have no friend like you who, who encourages our spirits, who spurs us on, who lifts us up when we're down, who ultimately gave your life for us. And for that, we are so grateful, Father. And we pray this morning as we study your word together that you'll give us ears to hear and eyes to see all that you want us to hear and see. And I pray that the words that I speak uh, that need to stick on our hearts will stick and those that need to fall away will fall away, Father, and we pray through the name of Jesus Christ and the church said, amen. So I love the Olympics, and I, every four years I look forward to uh, the Olympics and kind of what happens with just, you know, people as they gather, representing their countries, uh, s- performing at the highest level of their athletic ability. All these sports that you don't get to watch all the time on TV, all of a sudden are on TV, and you get to watch, kind of become familiar with these, these people, their stories, their backgrounds. And one of my all-time favorite Olympic moments happened back in 1992 in Barcelona, when Derek Redmond ran the 400-meter race. And Derek Redmond had been running, he had actually won the first two heats. But then in the semifinal race, after the first turn, Derek heard this popping sound and realized that he had torn his hamstring. He would later describe the pain by saying that it felt like someone had shoved a hot knife into the back of his knee and twisted. And so he hobbles another 50 meters or so until he's about at the halfway mark and realizes that his, it's all over for him. He doesn't have a chance of winning the race. His hopes of, of winning a medal have come to an end. He's seeing people cross the finish line. Doctors and other officials start trying to come onto the track to convince him to stop, but he wasn't going to give up. And then about the 100-meter mark, he notices that someone has come onto the track, and it's his dad. Which brings us to the first thing that you need to know about Barnabas, is that his real name was not Barnabas. Barnabas was a nickname that the apostles had given him based upon his personality. And I love this for a lot of reasons, but one of those is because I think that it reminds us that people in Scripture are real people. We're real people. Like they had personalities, they had relationships, they had friendships. They gave each other nicknames, like you give to your kids, you know, or to friends. But what was Barnabas' real name? Well, we're going to look in Acts chapter 4 and kind of glimpse into his story a little bit, beginning in verse 32 when luke writes these words all the believers were in one heart and mind no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own but they shared everything they had verse 33 with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the lord jesus and god's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them for from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, that's not even the point of the sermon, but just let that sink in a little bit, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So Luke, the author of the book of Acts, writes this book to record the earliest days of this Christian story. The community of people, they're they're already gathering and they're they're, they're defining themselves, really, by this servant posture, this generous posture toward each other and toward the world. No needy persons among them. No one in that group of believers found themselves in need. And Luke chooses one person. I mean, he talks about the group, but then he chooses one person as a prime example of the spirit of this new movement and what exactly is going on in the hearts and the lives of these earliest followers of Jesus. And that person is Barnabas. His real name is Joseph, but he's always referred to as Barnabas. His nickname is sometimes translated Son of Comfort, which is the way the message translation translates it. The King James translates it Son of Consolation. And the NIV that I just read translates it Son of of encouragement. This this isn't a nickname like bubba or spanky or you know whatever else you might come up with, right? This name has meaning. This naming name has significance. Luke tells us that what his nickname tells us what his nickname means because the name tells us about the man. The name tells us about the man as I hope you will see by the end of this message. The man Joseph of Cyprus had a life that was so transformed by the gospel that he was, he was so full of love and comfort and encouragement that everybody just called him Barnabas. Everybody just called him son of encouragement. And to me, that, that by itself is a compelling story. Like, what if our lives were so transformed by the gospel that our very names were synonymous with the characteristics of Christ? What if our lives were so transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ that our very names were synonymous with the characteristics of Christ? That when people saw us, they said, there goes a son of compassion. There goes a daughter of mercy. There goes a sister of encouragement, a brother of forgiveness, a son of justice, a daughter of love. Like That was the way that they described us. Even... If this was all we knew about Barnabas, it would be a powerful statement, but it is not all that we know. There's more to his story, to his life. As the the book of Acts continues, we see other examples that uh, that illustrate how Barnabas got his name and really how he lived into this name. The first example, maybe the most well-known, in the first part of Acts, Saul of Tarsus was probably the single most dangerous enemy at the time that the church had. He had been instrumental in persecuting the church and killing a, lead, a church leader named Stephen that was stoned to death. Saul seemed uh, to have made it his personal mission to root out every Christian in that area that he could find and to bring them to the authorities for punishment. This is what Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 says about Saul. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. This was the intention and the purpose of, Paul, of Saul at the time's life. He wanted to destroy the church. But on his way to Damascus, as many of you know this story, he met Jesus and his life changed. He sees this bright light in the sky, and he falls to the ground, and he hears Jesus asking, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And from that moment, Saul is forced to rethink everything he has ever believed. And he undergoes this radical transformation because of Jesus' work in his life. So Saul, the worst enemy of the Christian faith, is converted to the Christian faith. And not only that, but now Saul, now that Saul believes that Jesus was alive, he also believes, and he hears a call upon placed upon his life, and Saul hears this, understands this message from God, Saul, your purpose now is to go and be my spokesperson, but you can understand the problem, right? Why, do, why am I talking about Saul who becomes Paul when our focus is Barnabas? Because you can imagine if we were being persecuted and there was a single person that we could identify to blame for that, and then they showed up in this room and said, it's okay, everybody, I'm not going to take anybody to prison, I'm not going to you know, persecute or beat anyone or stone anyone to death. I'm on your side now. We're on the same team. We would be like, eh, maybe. you got to prove it to us first, right? you got to show us that, that you're being honest about what you are telling us. We wouldn't be too crazy about meeting with this guy. We would wonder, like, isn't this the same guy who was just trying to kill us? How do we know this isn't just one of his tricks? I think these are, like, reasonable questions that the Christians, first Christians might have been asking, But in the midst of that environment, there was one person who was not afraid of Saul. There was one person who had the faith to believe that God could do something to redeem a man like Saul. And in Acts chapter 9, Luke says these words. He says, When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join, he being Saul, tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told the apostles how Saul, Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Saul, The, the church was afraid of Saul and in steps Barnabas. And the church wasn't sure that, Saul, Paul, was really a disciple. Barnabas had the eyes to see what God was doing and vouch for him. But that wasn't the only time that Barnabas was willing to believe in people when no one else would. As the early church kept growing, and as we see the church growing in the book of Acts, <clears throat> The message of the gospel is spreading and more and more people are coming to faith and everything was going along fine and everyone was content and happy and something happened that a lot of people weren't too comfortable with. Initially, the gospel was being just spread among the Jews and then someone got the idea that maybe the message was for Gentiles too as God kept expanding their minds about who could be included in this kingdom that God was building and that's when things got really complicated. And who do you think in that moment that the church decided to send to investigate this new phenomenon about Gentiles coming to faith? Barnabas. In Acts chapter 11, this is what Luke writes. He says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, travel, Stephen being stoned, right, has traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this activity, talking to Greeks and to Jews, reaches the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he, He's investigating. When he arrives and sees the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Most Jewish Christians still had a very strong prejudice against Gentiles. Yes, Jesus had come to bring salvation, but only to us, not to them. But when Barnabas goes to Antioch and sees God working among the Gentiles, Luke says he was glad and he was encouraged, and he encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He did not encourage them to come to the Lord, He encouraged them to remain true to the Lord. They're already on a journey. He arrived, and God was already working in a place he hadn't been. And so he encourages them to remain true to the Lord. And so, just like with Saul, as soon as Barnabas saw the evidence of God's grace, he sees the evidence of God's grace in Saul's life, who will become Paul, and he sees the evidence of God's grace going to Gentiles. And in both cases, he was ready to believe that God could do what he was seeing that was happening in front of his eyes. And aren't we glad that he did, church? I mean, aren't, aren't we glad that he had the courage to believe what God was doing, even though it was foreign to his eyes and his ears and his heart, even though he had never imagined that this might be the way that the church would move forward? Because Barnabas was willing to encourage these apostles to believe that this man Paul was going, God was going to use him for great things, and because he was willing to encourage these first Gentile Christians, no, when no one else ha- did, we know about Jesus in Kaufman County, Texas, 2019 today. Like our 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 knowledge about God can be directly connected back to Barnabas's faith and his courage to believe that God was doing something new, even when no one else around him believed it, when they were afraid, when they were unsure. And so just two two points that I want to make about that. The first one, I want you to think about this in connection to Barnabas' life and activity. The first thing is this. God uses Barnabas to launch the ministry of one of the most influential preachers and thinkers and writers in the history of our faith, Paul. And the second point is this that the eventual acceptance of Gentiles into the church is due in large part to the encouragement of Barnabas. Two incredibly significant shifts, two huge shifts in the story, in the history of Christianity, both involve Barnabas. So, back to the 1992 Olympics, you might be wondering if you're not familiar with this story. Derek Redmond finished the race with his dad by his side. With arms around one another, they began to walk the last 100 meters toward the finish line. And I have a, about a two-minute video of that race and what took place that I want us to watch together. This would probably never happen today because of security, but in this video you see his dad telling people as they try, one of them he said, I think you can read his lips, says, get back. You know, you can see him telling people that his son isn't going anywhere. He's not going to leave the track. That His his son is going to get across the finish line. And I, I think that this is such a beautiful picture of what it means to be the church, that we pick each other up when we have fallen down, that we put someone's arm around us, and that we walk with them however far they need to walk until they can walk on their own, and then maybe we're still you know, still close to each other in the event of another disaster. Barnabas' story is powerful because it is almost entirely, based on what I could find, maybe with the exception of one time, it's almost entirely told in connection to other people. Which is opposite of the way that we think today. We tend to think, like, my story can only be powerful if I did something to stand out as significant. If I was successful, if I, right, it's, it's what, what did I do? I can only have a powerful story if my powerful story was written, it was about me. We're encouraged to change the world. We're encouraged to be unique. We're encouraged to do our own thing, to stand out, to be different. And in the middle of those messages stand Barnabas, a loyal sidekick, filling the second chair so that someone else can fill the first. Maybe the most important thing we will ever do with our lives is not be first, but be second and quietly, humbly serve the people around us, lifting them into leadership into roles of influence. See, for Barnabas, it was about being second in a way that helped others be first and to become who God had called them to be. And so a question I want us to consider this morning as we think about Barnabas's life is how can you be second in a way that allows others around us to be, fir- to be first? I mean, Barnabas was the ultimate supporting character. He was an encourager he believed in people. He gave second chances. He brought people together when the church is debating and wrestling and not sure. Here, here stands Barnabas. Just Come on, we can figure this out. I'll go investigate the situation. There's no book in the Bible that's attributed to Barnabas, and yet Paul wrote 13 books. Like Barnabas doesn't have a bunch of lines in the story, and yet at significant turns, all along the way, you see him bringing people together, lifting people up, speaking up for the outcast, supporting people and encouraging them every step of the way. Barnabas is someone in your life whose presence strengthens your spirit, strengthens your heart. In fact, the word encouragement means to give someone hope, to give someone support, to give someone courage that doesn't have courage. It literally means to put your heart into someone else. And we know how to do this because this is exactly what Jesus did for us. When we were outcasts, Jesus vouched for us. When we were unable to run the race any longer, Jesus ran down onto the track and defied those that would attempt to stop him and put his arms under us and walked us toward the finish line. So today, we're going to move into a time of communion. As Chris and I were talking about today and thinking about this uh, this topic of encouragement, it felt appropriate. We haven't done this in probably two or three years, if you're a guest this morning and wonder how often we do communion this way. It's been a while. But this morning, we've set communion up around the room, and you'll find the, both the bread and the wine on the tables as you go there in a few minutes, but you'll also find some in, some cards that blank on the inside. And so we wanted to provide something. You don't have to do it right this minute. You might take a card and do it later this week. Uh, we want to provide some some way for us to respond to the idea of being a, a Barnabas. And so as you take communion, I encourage you to take a card and to write a note of encouragement to someone who needs to be encouraged, who needs whose spirit is down, who has fallen down on the track of life, who's weary for whatever reason who has questions or doubts or confusion about circumstances in their life to take a card and to make plans commit to write a note of encouragement to that person it may also be we're going to create some space for this for a few minutes and it may also be that you you want to you want to act on that right now this is you know we forget I think a lot of times as we pass trays for communion that the early church was looking each other in the eye and was talking and was interacting, was embracing, was praying with one another as they shared communion over a meal. And so it may be that this morning you wanna you want to respond to the message in that way by specifically finding someone in this room to encourage this morning. Maybe all you do is give them a hug and tell them you love them. Maybe you pray with them. There's some guests here this morning that you might want to find and introduce yourself to. It's gonna be okay to talk during this time and to interact and to pray with one another. The table is the place where we come, church, to have our lives transformed. And we come, as we come to the table and we take the bread and the cup, we do that every single week so that we will be transformed. As we ingest the blood of Christ and the body of Christ, we, we take in his grace, we take in his mercy so that our lives will be able to give away more grace and more mercy. So that our very names can become synonymous with the characteristics of Christ. The table is the place that we come to where we come to be encouraged when we're down. To be reminded that we have a seat always at the table of Jesus Christ. Even when we feel like we don't have a seat at other places, at other tables in our lives. We remember that everybody is welcomed at Jesus' table. So what we're going to do. There are tables around the room. We'll have uh, some music playing. We'll invite everyone to move to a table. We want this time to be a time to pray, to share, to reflect, uh, to take a card. You might want to write the card now, and that'll be fine. We'll uh, spend a little bit of time doing this. You might want to take a card and write a note of encouragement later to someone that's having a hard time. Thank someone for being a Barnabas in your life, and be aware of those uh, this morning, as we do this, one word I want to just offer you is one. That one of the reasons we don't do this often is because it's not always easy for some of our body to get to a table. So, uh, if you're near someone who would be encouraged by having some bread and a cup bre- brought to them, if, you, if we could just look out for each other and make sure that that happens so that everybody receives the body and blood of Christ this morning, that would be a great thing. So, I want to ask you to stand with me. We're going to pray. Also going to kind of tie in a time of response to this time, uh, and so if you if you are looking specifically for someone to pray with you, I want to ask uh, if an elder or two would be near the back, and I'll be up here, uh, and we will uh, be happy to pray with you as well. But please find others as well to pray with you. Let's pray together. God, as we come to the table, uh, we are grateful that this table is always made ready for those of us who have been here often for those who have been here a little for those who come full of faith and confidence and for those who come weary and worn down as we walk and we approach the table we see that Jesus is the head of the table and that the seats are all made ready and that we have a seat at the table with our name on it and we are grateful for that we pray that as we participate in this activity this this communion every single week that we remember that what's happening is that we're taking in the blood and the body of Christ that to the world looks like some a little piece of cracker and some juice but for us we realize is the blood and the body of Jesus Christ that we take in so that our lives will be transformed so that our names will become synonymous with the character of Christ in the same way that Barnabas's name was synonymous with the character of Christ. I pray God that as we Participate in this time that you'll encourage us and that we will encourage one another as we do this. We pray through the name of Jesus, amen. If you want to have a seat, you can. You can also begin to move however you want to take advantage of this time. Please do that, and I'll get back up in just a minute and wrap us up.